Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, a lifelong homeschooling parent, author, and president of Chula Vista Christian University, a four-year university that centers on mentor-driven, Bible-based, debt-free higher education. Join us for our upcoming visit day, April 20th, and experience our signature Socratic model in person. Just click the pop-up box at cvcu.us to register. That's Chula Vista Christian University. If you're new to the show, we are in a season unpacking American education, so be sure to scroll back on my podcast for some tips on breaking free from the toxic traits of the traditional system. Pastors, if you'd like to know more about how you can play a vital role in rescuing the outsourced generation, just go to cvcu.us and click the Start an Academy tab. We can have your campus up and running in just four weeks. Parents, we have three levels of support for you. Church-based support classes, college degree programs, and the Start an Academy program. Just this semester, we launched a very exciting community program at Chula Vista campus, which is our tuition-free homeschool support that is not yoked to a woke government system. Check it out at cvcu.us. And again, be sure to join us for visit day on April 20th. Well, friends, today let's talk. Let's talk about the revelatory findings coming out right now as we see the parental rights bill passing through the house. Many parents are hearing about the bill for the first time and they had no idea that there were actually secrets being kept from them, that powers were co-laboring to ensure that a governmental agenda would supersede the parent's own desire for his or her children. H.R. 5 Parents' Bill of Rights Acts would recognize the rights of the parent in knowing what was happening in the school. It would require schools to publicly post the curriculum, a description of the curriculum, how parents can review the curriculum. Hold on a second. Did you say that the state would recognize the rights of a parent? that we'd be able to see what's being taught. Friends, what does this tell you is happening right now? Parents' rights are not recognized. In fact, parents' rights end at the school's front door. This is ungodly. Remember our two most important questions. Who is teaching the children and what are they being taught? This bill is intended to empower parents, but serendipitously, it exposes the public to the current predicament. Teachers and administrators want to keep parents from making decisions that might contradict the goals of the state. This is not new. We've talked before on the show about the hundreds of documents currently on file whose main concern about homeschooling is that it teaches students values that, quote, contradict the values of the state. Yes, parents, there is a contrast, a very clear contrast between the goals of secular education and the goals of Christian families. Now, you can check out that bill, learn more about it at congress.gov to search the HR5 bill. If you listen to some of the quotes from the left who were vehemently opposed and super panicked about the bill, their summarizing idea was that if parents are allowed to know what's being taught or if children are forced out, meaning children have to tell their parents they've assumed a completely different identity at school, 
these leftists said that that the entire system would implode. Well, good. <laughs> it, it needs to be rebuilt. Uh, this The bill includes uh, parents having a right to, listen to this, this is awesome, a right to inspect books and reading materials, the right to know about violent activity on campus, the right to know if an employee asked to change a child's gender markers, pronouns, or preferred names, the right to know if a child attempts to change gender affiliation regarding locker rooms or restrooms, and the part that really offended government school personnel, Section 202, parents should have the right to inspect all instructional materials, teachers' guides, films, handouts, reading material, and professional development material. Teachers were absolutely up in arms over this in the interviews. They said, you don't trust us. Yes, that's correct. Anyone who is trying to keep secrets from a child's parents is automatically labeled untrustworthy. It is that simple. Section 401 of the bill says a school must have the parent's consent before changing gender markers or preferred pronouns. And yes, that is definitely happening right now. There is no consent. If you didn't know, this is a subversive movement going on in our government school systems right now. It's designed to undermine you, mom and dad. Maybe you've seen the educational, quote, cartoons showing mom, dad, and grandparents who are still locked up in traditional values, quote, unquote. The agenda is very clear here, friends. This is the essence of the content exposed by the parental rights bills. Parental rights bill. Parents are not allowed to know, and schools want to keep it that way. But that alone should wake up every parent listening to the show right now. That means the status quo right now is that the state is keeping secrets about your children from you. The intention is to keep parents out of the system, out of the loop. The idea is absolute pagan nonsense. In fact, it's the opposite of Luke 117, which tells us that the hearts of parents and children should be drawn together. The public school system is intent on severing the tie that binds. Why? Because family is a powerful voice. Because marriage is God's institution. Because a threefold cord is not easily broken. The government school system wants ultimate control. It's Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. It's Hitler's Germany. We've talked about the question many times on the show. Do America's children belong to their parents or to the state? When we look at the predictive power of any forthcoming generation, he who holds the goals always makes the rules. Hitler intentionally designed programs like Hitler Youth and the League of German Girls to train up a generation, indoctrinating them in the Nazi regime. Just read the history of how Hitler banned the Boy Scouts and forced Scouts to join Hitler Youth so he could control what they learned. In early 1930, the Nazi state abolished all youth groups in Germany, closing off all the competition for worldview development. By 1937, they had 5.4 million youth members, 65% of the 10 to 18 population. And by 1940, listen, they had 7.2, which was a full 82% of the 10 to 18 population that belonged to Hitler Youth. And one of the most chilling historical citations was the stated goal of these Nazi organizations to, quote, dismantle existing social structures and traditions to impose conformity. Does that sound familiar? Parents, listen, over 90% of students in America still attend secular public schools. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The power is still in the hands of the educational institution. Let's go back to Plato's question yet again for every civilization throughout all time and space. This is truly the determining factor in America's future. Who? is teaching the children and what are they being taught. 
Christian parents must be mindful of the fact that schools, especially in overtly liberal states like California, are literally inculcating the values that will drive the future of our nation. The beginning of wisdom, the very starting point of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, in the public schools, children learn mockery of the laws of the Lord, right? They learn oppression of the truths of the law of the Lord, but they will not learn the fear of the Lord in these centers that are linked with aggressive secular agendas. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I know there's a push in some circles to try to mend public education, but I believe it is too far gone. I believe it's time for a new breed of education, one that's tried and true and proven in its efficacy and its return on investment for generations. Christian parents are called to rise up and carry the mantle. Our time and our energy would be better spent not mending schools, but ending them and creating a whole new model. Where did this ludicrous idea begin that parents were to be overrun by government education? Well, big surprise. At the source point of all ludicrous ideas in America, the university system, the seedbed of anti-faith doctrine and anti-family doctrine. The family-centric model of of education, which has been embraced for thousands of years before the current era, remains the primary system of educational health. According to Dr. John Wary of the Parent Institute, children with involved parents are more likely to earn higher grades, higher test scores, attend school regularly, have better social skills, demonstrate positive behaviors, and adapt well to social environments. Quote, he says, the research evidence is now beyond dispute. When families support learning, children tend to succeed not just in their academic careers, but throughout life. In fact, the most accurate predictor of a student's achievement is not income or social status, but listen to this, the extent to which the family is involved in the child's education. In more than 30 years of research on parent involvement, researchers have consistently found that parent involvement produces positive results for children. The Manitoba Department of Education and Training notes that, quote, parents are more significant than either teachers or peers in influencing educational aspirations for the majority of children, including improved academic performance, improved school behavior, greater academic motivation, and fewer dropouts. When we look behind the scenes at schools where new programs are hailed for increasing student performance, we almost always see a common factor. And it's not often pointed out, but parents have been invited to the mix. In other words, it's not this social system that's improving grades. It's the inclusion of family in the process. In 1994, the importance of parent involvement was designated as one of the national education goals in the Educate America Act. The U.S. Department of Education said that research over the past 30 years has consistently shown that greater family involvement in children's learning is a critical link to achieving a high-quality education. If we see all of these stats, my friend, why is there this concerted effort to work against the parents? The Harvard Family Research Project's extensive longitudinal study followed a cohort of students from eighth grade through high school, college, and into the workforce. And the study found that parents' expectations and essentially their belief in students' academics capabilities, as well as their involvement, those were the predictors of students' success. The further parents believed their kids would go, the clearer their perception, the adolescent's perception of those expectations, and the higher their own academic expectations. And 
the the end of the day, the result was, which we've quoted over and over on the show, the number one factor of a child's socioeconomic success is the secret sauce involved parents. But instead of including this secret weapon, parents, government schools are bent on dissecting the student from the family, decentralizing the parental unit and the family unit in general. Everything you heard exposed in the Parental Bill of Rights is already happening on college campuses across the U.S. Let's unpack the origin of this movement a little bit because, friends, it always trickles down from the top. What we permit and then teach and celebrate at the university level trains up a generation of leaders who set the pace for secondary and elementary education. It's one giant feedback loop. This nonsense really started with what we call the Family Educational, quote, Rights to Privacy Act, FERPA. The U.S. Department of Education designed this law called FERPA as a federal law that's, quote, designed to protect the privacy of student education records. Now, in 1974, when the when this FERPA law first came into effect, it applied to all schools receiving funds through the Department of Education. FERPA would require that the control of a child's education records be transferred to the student and the teachers. See the common ground here? Parents, you're out of the picture. Now, these records include grades, academic standing, attendance records, financial standing with the college, results of any disciplinary proceedings involving the student, hospitalization, treatment for emergency, life-threatening medical or psychological conditions, missed classes, and disruptive or erratic behavior. Insane. That's insane. Only through a written release from the student could a parent gain access to a student's file. Even, listen, even if that parent is funding the student's education. Neither the instructor nor the administrator has the, quote, right under FERPA's regulations to speak to a parent about the student's records. And this has been problematic over and over again. Even life-threatening. Listen to an example of just how crazy this cutting parents out of the system is. Thomas Baker, who was an associate dean of students at the University of Iowa, talked about this increasingly dramatic number of college students who were engaged in self-destructive behaviors and how FERPA regulations have presented significant challenges in these cases. He talks about this rash of tragic suicides on college campuses and how administrative decisions not to notify students' parents of prior suicide attempts, which Baker argues that in his position that FERPA should be violated, that students' privacy rights should be violated to protect their well-being. Well, yes, of course. Uh, in one court case, a college dean learned of a student's suicide intentions. The dean met with a student and required the student, are you ready for this, to sign a statement pledging not to hurt himself. Two days later, the student committed suicide. Now, most parents would recognize the futility of asking a suicidal patient to sign a note promising he wouldn't hurt himself. This is naivety at best, but schools are increasingly permitted to take the mantle of parenthood upon themselves. And Baker said he wanted to see more parental notification as a result of some of these big challenges he's seeing suicide prevention, mental health. He said, quote, protection from harm includes the ability to influence a student's behavior and parental notice influences the behavior of a troubled student by reinforcing positive feelings that exist between the student and his or her family members. But 
Still on the books today, this aging, antiquated, ridiculous FERPA law continues to protect, quote unquote, troubled students from the prying eyes and ears of their parents. This is, again, this is a hippie 1970s law, anti-authoritarianism at its finest. Here it is on display. And again, that has trickled down because we allowed it to persist at the university level, still persisting today. And now it has trickled down into elementary and secondary levels as well. In addition to medical records, grades, attendance, FERPA also protects the records of students' financial accounts. So while a student may have developed a habit of making frivolous expenditures and tightening the noose of long-term indebtedness, the student's parents are unlikely to know. The Consumer Federation of America, CFA, says that more and more students are experiencing financial challenges because of overextended credit. And university administrators have begun to note that there's a connection between these massive debts and dropouts, defaults, and surprising, not surprisingly at all, self-destructive behavior. One administrator put it succinctly. He said, quote, we lose more students to credit card debt than to academic failure. Okay, we're seeing this again. These are students who need support. They need encouragement. They still need life lessons. Student records, again, are being protected from those, quote, prying parental eyes. And so a parent might not know until it's too late. Again, the brain, we've talked many times on the show about the formation of the brain and up to 25 until students can use their whole brain to think I mean, we all need mentors throughout life. That's not just students. Of course, I tell my students they need mentors. They need to be able to reach up to someone 10 years older and reach out to someone who's younger than them that they can be mentoring. But that's true for all of us. All of us need mentors in our lives. But especially in these times of stress, in a generation that's known for not having tremendous amounts of resilience, which I wrote about in Outsource and we've talked about on this show, they're ill-prepared emotionally, socially, physically, mentally for these challenges. And some children have great difficulty dealing with things like interpersonal issues that arise in, in scholastic settings, peers they dislike, teachers they're afraid of, courses they don't understand, the complex challenges of relationships and stress and overactive hormones. So at its very least, FERPA laws should default in favor of accountability, not isolation. A mentor is not a mother and a faculty member is not a father. Enforcing this pseudo-parental status is an outrageous abomination of true parental authority. In essence, FERPA was the spawn of an educational, quote, freedom movement in the 1970s, the era that brought us values clarification, as well as a number of other anti-authority ideologies. And creating an automatic escape route that directed students away from accountability, especially at a time when they remain vulnerable to poor decision-making tendencies. This is a disservice to students, to educators, to families. In fact, maybe the greatest irony of the Family Educational Rights to Privacy Act is its own internal enigma. FERPA isn't protection for families, it's protection from families. FERPA's spirit continues on its surreptitious Path, it's fledgling programs. Even in, in 2009, the White House announced a move toward longer school days and longer school years and government programs that offer up to 300 more instructional hours of school. Now, listen, 
Right now, United States school children spend about 1,146 hours in school, which is way more than Asian countries that regular outscore U.S. counterparts in science and math. Go back to the nation's report card.gov to see how abysmally we've been scoring over the last 20 years. Singapore spends 903 hours in school. Japanese children spend 1,005 hours. A teacher gets a child for a year. A parent has a child for a lifetime. And pouring money into a system that's already failing is like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. The sad truth is that the public school system has been on a downward spiral since the 70s. And the secret ingredient for success and turning that around is the parent. At its core, the reason that the government school system is trying to keep parents out of the mix is because the system wants their goals to reign. Again, FERPA isn't protection for families, it's protection from families. So we have to begin the process of restoring parents to the rightful place of authority and influence. And thankfully, HR5 has awakened parents to yet another level of control the Hitlerian state is trying to exert over our children. Mom and dad, it is time for a public school exit. Well, we all know that traditional education is broken beyond repair, and I am calling on churches across the United States to be part of the solution. Open your church campus doors. Churches are open, empty during the week. Open those doors up. Visit us at cvcu.us and click the Start an Academy tab to step into that rescue mission. Don't forget to check out my latest book on the 12 toxic traits of traditional education, Outsourced, Why America's Kids Need an Education Revolution, is available in print and on Kindle. You can go to outsourcethebook.com or find all our books, blogs, and podcasts at cvcu.us on the homepage. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn. Thanks for joining us on today's show. I'll be back next week with more of our toxic trait analysis and what you can do to break free from the system. I'll see you then. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Nunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.